You're listening to a sermon podcast from Paramount Church in Columbus, Ohio. To learn more, visit ParamountColumbus.com. Let me uh, invite you to turn with me in your copy of God's Word to our text for this morning, which is Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. If you want to use one of those Black Pew Bibles that might be in the rack just in front of you, uh, you can find that on page 156. Now, I have uh, decided to uh, begin and perhaps continue preaching from and actually reading as my personal Bible, the Christian Standard Bible. You don't need to change anything that you're doing if you use a different uh, version of the Bible, but it may be a little bit different, um, as you notice, or if you look at the Pew Bible, but it shouldn't be very much different as we all join together at Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. And if you've been worshiping with us recently, you'll notice that now we are back in the book of Philippians, the epistle of joy, as we are resuming a preaching series that we call Connoisseurs of Happiness. And we've been in the book of Philippians for for quite a while, but as is our normal custom, uh, for the month of July, we took a break from that verse-by-verse preaching series through Philippians and preached a kind of expositional topical series called Your Gospel is Too Small. And uh, in one sense, that's something that we are always wanting to do is expand our view of the gospel, but we wanted to give that particular emphasis this summer. And so we gained a, a lot of value, I think. I, I know that I did from, uh, from the month of July's preaching, and now we are going to move back and complete our sermon series through the book of Philippians. Now, this will take us until September 10th, and then on September 10th, we're going to transition to a series called Law and Gospel, or Law and Grace in the Christian Life, uh, through the letter to the Galatians. And that'll take us through the end of the year, and then after that, we're going to spend a significant part of 2024 in the Old Testament in the book of Lamentations. So it's always nice just to have a little bit of a roadmap, and that's our roadmap moving forward. But we're back today in the series Connoisseurs of Happiness, and if uh, you're not familiar with this series, I'll just uh, kind of remind you, connoisseurs is a little bit of a fancy word, but you've probably heard it in other places, especially when it comes to enjoying certain foods or drinks. And we're using it in a similar way. A connoisseur is someone who appreciates, uh, in a deep and rich kind of way, something. And in our case, we are looking at the book of Philippians in such a way that it would help us to become connoisseurs or to appreciate in a deeper way the happiness that God offers us by faith in Jesus Christ. That because the God of the universe is the happiest being in the universe, and at least in one sense, he is happy every day because he does whatever he pleases, and that's what it means to be happy, that we want to become connoisseurs of the happiness that he offers to us in Christ. We want to understand what does it mean to have joy and gladness and to rejoice because of Jesus, and so that has been our focus and continues to be our focus this morning and for the next five weeks, as we want to pursue the ever-increasing happiness of Christ in our church, in our daily lives as Christians. And this morning, we're going to do that by looking at just these few verses in Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, as we consider a kind of three-part way of living the Christian life on a daily basis. 
I find it really helpful in my Christian life when I'm you know, reading books or hanging out with other Christians. When the Lord uses uh, someone or something to remind me of something just basic and manageable for my Christian life. My life often feels um, really busy. There are lots of things going on, just like you probably feel, and I really need something to hold on to. And so we actually have something like that this morning, as we want to consider just three parts to this way of living the Christian life, that, that any person who has faith in Christ can begin practicing, even this week, as maybe a kind of regular foundation for your Christian life, especially as we consider what it means to grow in the happiness of the gospel and of our relationship with Jesus. And so let me go ahead and tell you what these three ways are as we'll find them in Paul's uh, words this morning. First, there's simple words. Rejoice is number one. Pray is number two. And be at peace is number three. And we'll consider those one by one this morning, looking first at verses four and five, to see this first part of this way of living the Christian life. And that is that we ought to rejoice. Now, first, let's just notice what a way for us, and God's you know, providence is coming back to this series, what a way to resume a series on happiness than to come right back into this bright, exhortation from Paul to be happy. That is, in fact, what he says. He says, be happy in the Lord always, or rejoice in the Lord always. We're coming right back into it. Is this passage, you might look at the headings in your Bible to get a sense of of where the, the editors have marked out different parts of it or sections. Yours might say something like, um, like general considerations or practical counsel or wisdom for life. And this is right in the middle of it as Paul is exhorting his readers and because of the Holy Spirit giving us his word, he's exhorting us first to rejoice. He uses here a word that we've talked about in the series. You might not remember it, but it's, it's, it's the word Cairo, and it means happiness. And it's used not only once, but twice. So notice this in verses four, well, in verse four, rejoice in the Lord always. And then he says, I will say it again, rejoice. This time we have at least in our English because of the the word order when it's translated, an exclamation mark at the end of the second rejoice. So here he's saying, be happy in the Lord always. Again, I will say, be happy. Now, let me ask you this. How can you tell when someone is being serious? When they really mean what they're saying, how do you know that? There are many ways, but at least two of them are these that we see even in this text. First, the person raises his or her voice. The person becomes exuberant in in making this, this proclamation as Paul does here. And second, the person will repeat what he or she is saying. So when someone really wants to get your attention, they will raise their voice and repeat that. We do that a lot in parenting. We do that in lots of situations in life when we want someone to pay attention. But here's a problem that we've been noticing through our time in the book of Philippians is that we as Christians tend to be weirdly 
happiness averse. We're very slow to accept the idea that God would offer to us deep and lasting, eternal, present happiness even in the midst of this life. Our perceived volume of this message is lower than the actual message. When the Apostle Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always, and then again with an exclamation mark, rejoice, that's raising his voice, that's gaining attention, for some reason, that volume is decreased when it hits our ears and our hearts. And this is a problem that we have been perceiving. We come in lower than the bar. In fact, you might even notice this as I do, that there's some, for some reason in, in my heart and maybe yours, that when you hear these words, you immediately feel a need to temper them. You immediately feel maybe the need to say something like, yes, but let's not go crazy. I mean, be happy in the Lord always, rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice, be exuberant, be full of happiness and joy, pursue happiness and joy, fill your moments with happiness and joy, do everything you can. That's what we've been saying throughout Philippians. That's what Philippians has been saying. And yet we have this sense where I need to tone that down for some reason. Like maybe we're getting a little crazy. But this is sort of something that I think all of us struggle with in a number of ways in, in our spiritual lives. And there are lots of things going against us. I mean, we're, we're, we're fallen people. We have remaining sin in our hearts. We, we live in a fallen world that tends to push back against the truth and the goodness of God and our enjoyment of it and many other things. But we should be aware that this is our tendency. Our tendency is to come in under the bar. For instance, let's do an experiment. Right now, I want you to applaud the truth of the gospel on three. Three, two, one, go. Okay? Okay. Now, we're getting a nice range there, which is, which is great for the illustration because it, it makes the point. Some of us, and obviously you're also, let's, let's be honest, you're set up. You were set, you knew where this was going. I'm not that clever. You, you knew where that was going. And so we had a kind of exuberant uh, response. But even then, I would say, lovingly and to myself, because I'm right there with you, we're all in the same boat with this, that's it? <laughs> that's it? No one stood up? One person whooped and hollered? <laughs> now, many of us... Knowing where that was going, we, we gave some real elbow grease to the claps, and that's fantastic. But even then, what we, we want to recognize is that even then, we're coming in under the bar. We're, 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 we're coming in for some reason under the bar, and, and maybe there are two, two problems here that we could notice. And when we notice them, maybe we can start working on them together, and it would increase our happiness. That would be, that would be wonderful. Here's the first we're not really primed for this for some reason. Now, if you read through Philippians, you will be more primed like we have. You know, you're, you're coming in with context. And when he says, rejoice in the Lord always, I say again, rejoice. And you keep the context. You get a sense of like, this is going somewhere. There's a crescendo happening. I need to reach up to the bar. But often in our Christian life, we're not primed 
we're not primed for happiness. We're resistant, we're happiness averse. But also, a second problem is we're, we're failing to appreciate the context. Now, the one thing that made this illustration so helpful is that we were kind of anticipating the context. You, I had laid out a context for you. You were ready. But for many of us, we're not ready. And we're not, in, in many moments, we're not in tune with the context. We're not in tune with the meaning of the bar. When we say applaud the truth of the gospel, what we need is more context. I I need more understanding. I need more depth. What do you mean by the gospel? Now, if we were to spend time really working at unpacking the gospel in this moment, and then we said now, based upon what we just unpacked, and the richness and the depth of the gospel as we are seeing it, let's applaud the gospel. Let's give God thanks for what he's done we would all have much more standing. We would have our hands above our, our heads. We would be whooping, hollering. It would be more of that. But that's not our norm. And what we want to do is move in the direction of that being more of our norm. And we're not talking about empty, just cheer, cheerleader, you know, OSU football game kind of cheering. That's a different context. It's a different kind of thing. But nevertheless, we're trying to move in this direction in which we are primed for joy in the Lord. Whatever may come, we are ready. When something new comes into our life, something unexpected, even something hard, that I'm ready. I'm ready to glorify God with my happiness. And I'm ready by understanding the context of why I should be happy. Let's look at a passage that has two little parables in it. Uh, I was just going to read a couple of the verses from them, but let's just jump over there. That'll be easier. In Luke 15, just cycle back over to Luke 15, go backward uh, just a bit, and look at Luke 15, starting in verse 1. And we're just going to notice some of the response that Jesus describes of a couple other people who rejoiced over something that God had done in their lives. I'll just begin with verse 1. And then you can catch up to the the part where we're going to look closely at it. All the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him, and the Pharisees and scribes were complaining. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man among you who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them does not leave the ninety-nine in the open field and go after the lost one until he finds it? When he has found it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. Same kind of word. Joyfully, rejoicing, with happiness, with exuberance. And coming home, he calls his friends and neighbors together, saying to them, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, In the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. We're getting a glimpse into heaven. We're getting a glimpse into the way that Jesus looks at people whom he saves and how he thinks about joy and happiness. And it's a striking image. It's a striking image of what the Christian life can more regularly for us be like. But go on to the next parable, just the next uh, few verses, verse 8. Or what woman who has ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp 
sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. When she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together saying, rejoice with me because I have found the silver coin I lost. I tell you in the same way there is joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. So notice this kind of joy. Because what's probably happening for most of us when we come to this passage, because we're a little happiness averse and we feel like we need to turn the volume down if it's too loud, is we tend to just kind of glance right over it. Or we give it this kind of general, like, it's just like, sort of be happy, um, you know, like, enjoy your day, have a good one kind of attitude. But that's not Paul's attitude. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. And you can see also that this, like it was in those two parables, this kind of happiness and joy ends up getting outside of you and it starts to impact other people. Other people are invited to rejoice. We see a similar thing even here. Look at verse five. This would be great, right? This is what we're all desiring. This is what many of us are feeling the need for. We heard an ABF earlier, getting caught off in traffic. We feel the need for, for something, like more grace or mercy or something to temper the way I naturally, like, you know, really hate it when people cut me off. Look what he says in verse five. Right on the heels of rejoice, let your graciousness be known to everyone. He is saying, be so happy in the Lord, also known as because of the gospel and what he's done for you and his delight in you and his own eternal happiness over you and and his grace toward you, that you would become known as a gracious person to everyone you meet, that it would take on a new life in you. And then he gives this incredible reminder that guilty as charged. I gloss right over it. You know, it just, I sometimes just don't get it. The Lord is near. The reason that is for me is because I don't appreciate that very much. I don't appreciate the reality that the Lord is near. But isn't that the whole thing we're saying? Like, that's the context. That's, that's my problem is I'm not grasping the gravity of the joy because I'm not grasping the gravity of my relationship to him, that he is near. And that's the reason that I have to rejoice. So here's the first application that we could write down and, and work at together in community groups and just in our families and lives this week and coming weeks as we continue through Philippians. Prime yourself Prime yourself to rejoice. Do you know what that means? To prime something? I mean, I usually think, like yesterday, I, I used the blower and the, and the weed eater, and I had to prime both of them. I had to push the little priming um, bulb that, that, that forces gas into the engine. It gets it ready to start, so when you pull the cord, it, it starts right up, hopefully. starts right up, right? Prime yourself. You, you, have, you have a joy bulb in your heart. God has placed it there. The God who is the happiest being in the universe and delights to save you so that he can satisfy and make you happy, which is the way that you glorify him ultimately has placed in you a kind of prime, but it has to be pumped. It has to be primed. So that's where I think we should start is we need to prime ourselves to rejoice. Get a nice, tight, 
grasp on the reasons that you have to rejoice, namely that the Lord is near. And it almost goes without saying, but we'll say it every time. There's no greater reason to rejoice than that you know Jesus Christ. There isn't. So, so don't, don't be confused. He's, he's not saying find any old reason to rejoice. Well, I got some money in the bank, and you know, I got this house, and you know, things are going pretty good, and you know, I feel pretty healthy. And Those are all great reasons to rejoice. Those are all gifts from God. But we're talking about ultimate joy and ultimate rejoicing, and you cannot have that apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you're not a Christian, if you don't belong to him, then you have no access to that. You're left with all of the piddly little joys, which are, which are, which are enjoyable, but they are not eternal. They don't last forever. God is holding out in this passage to anyone who is here or listening who is not a Christian ultimate and unending happiness in him, unlike anything you could ever have in this life or on your own. But you must repent of your sin and you must place your trust in him. You must belong to him. And he offers that to you because he has chosen to be near. So let me encourage you, if that's you, that you would think very carefully about your relationship to Jesus Christ. Because there is a world of happiness and joy that is offered to you And if you reject it, the God of all happiness and joy delights to bring justice into the world, and he will in the end. And for all of those who reject his happiness, they will be put to torment forever in a place called hell. I know that's a real hard pivot right there, but we have to keep that in mind. And we want everyone to know that. So come to Christ. Why would you not? Why would you not come to Christ? You have nowhere else to go. So first... Here's this exhortation for us to rejoice in the Christian life. Okay, so we need that exhortation because we struggle with happiness in this life. You need this exhortation every day. You need to prime your own pump. You need others to prime it for you and vice versa. But notice next what he says. He exhorts on another common struggle, and it's not, you know, haphazardly or by accident. This is all intentional and fitting together because he knows what our hearts are like. And that is the common struggle to worry, which is a happiness killer. It's a joy killer. And that's why he is going to go after it here to try to kill it before it kills your happiness. And he says then, not only must we rejoice, but we must also pray. This is where we have a negative exhortation. All right, so the first exhortation was positive. It was something to do. Rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. Exclamation mark. Now we have a negative exhortation. Don't worry. Don't worry. Those two things are enemies of each other. I want you to rejoice. Therefore, you must not worry. And he says, let me help you know how not to worry. The word that he uses when he says worry here is marimna. It's one of the common words in the New Testament for worry. It actually can mean concern, which is not sinful at all, or it can mean anxiety and worry, which obviously is sinful because we're commanded not to do it and it's expression of our lack of trust in God. But here in the context, we see he's talking about something sinful. He's talking about something that, that pulls us away from the nearness of the Lord, that takes away our joy and rejoicing. And therefore, he says to us, 
Don't worry about anything. But in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Don't worry. I wonder if you have ever wanted to be in two places at one time. You think, like I do, oh man, if I could be in two places at one time, think about what I could accomplish. What's funny about that actually is that we are sort of pretending that we can't be in two places at one time. You're in two places at one time probably almost all of the time. This issue of worry is so widespread and is so infective of our lives that we are in two places at the same time very often. We're actually quite good at it because that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing when we're worrying. We are somewhere else. We're not in the present nearness of the Lord moment. We are somewhere else. A part of us leaves this present place of rejoicing in God's nearness and moves into the future with fear. So it's, it's stealing us away from the present ultimate moment of God's nearness and it leads us into the future, but into the future in a way that is fearful. And that's how one of the ways how worry cripples us. That's one of the ways how worry dishonors God. And that's why Paul is taking aim at this with serious words. Do not worry. But notice this, just as he was in the point about rejoicing, Paul is into extremes. He's talking in extremes. These are the kind of the the basic things we try to get better at as we read our Bibles, reading intentionally and, and really carefully seeing what's being said. Notice this. He is really working extremes here. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And now when he talks about worry, he says, don't worry about anything. About anything? Don't worry. Don't be anxious. Don't be afraid about anything. Now, that's a tall order, right? Everybody in here is thinking, wow, that's a tall order. Imagine that. Imagine a day when you don't worry about anything for a day. Some of us, imagine that for an hour. Your life is so captivated by worry. You are so afraid. Every moment of every day, you can't imagine what it would be like to even have one of them in which you are not in two places at one time, in the present moment, sort of, and in the future, fearing a place where God might not be near. And that's why Paul is taking this so seriously. So here's, here's kind of a bit of the translation then. Don't travel into the future with fearful expectations. That's what he's saying. And for good reason. We're getting the context. You're seeing it. You know, I don't have to put it all together for you. You see the Lord is near. And look at what worry is doing. But notice that the problem, the problem actually is not the time traveling part. It's actually the fearful part. Because what Paul says next is, 
travel into the future, but do it by prayer and petition. You see, that's the difference. He wants us in the present moment to travel into the future with prayer and petitions, not with fearful expectations of God's distance, but with pleas for him to stay close to us. The problem is not the time travel. The problem is the fear. So let's look at this because he's being really practical with us and he's giving us big help that's not just, it's not just to help you not be a, fear, a, worry, a worrisome person or a fearful person. He's giving us these practical wisdom because he wants you, he wants me, he wants us to be happy. He wants us to be happy. That's why he's telling us this. So he says, first, through prayer, This word is just a general word for prayer. It means praying generally about your life. But then he adds another one that is the word petition. It's a different word and it has a different flavor. It's more of a specific, urgent, intensive kind of praying. Okay, so he's saying pray in general over your life and then pray specifically about things that are troubling you. And pray with intentionality and with heart. He adds on to that, oh, by the way, if you want to be happy and you don't want to worry, pray with thanksgiving. Well, okay. So track this just for a moment. Actually now, to prove that it's not about time travel, he's added another dimension. Be in the present. Time travel into the future with prayers and petitions. And while you're there, also travel back in time and remember all of the things that God has done for you. That's, that's how, else, how else would you be thankful? You're thankful because you, you have all of these examples in Scripture and in your life of what he's been doing for you to get courage from the past while you're asking God in the present. This is key. This is so key. We get so caught up in, in like another book about the secrets of the Christian life and all these other plans. This is it. This is, you, you want to walk with the Lord. This is it. Rejoice and pray in these ways. Pray. Now, here's the objection that all of us feel in some one way or another. You will say this, but I do pray. And I'm still worried all the time. What is wrong? What is wrong? Two answers that may help you. One, don't underestimate the power of your worry. You're excellent at it. It is like a spiritual gift. You know, like a bizarro spiritual gift. It's backward. And it just dies hard. And you're probably not going to get over it. You're going to worry your whole life. That's what it means to have remaining sin. But there is something else. We do also in those moments lack something else. We're lacking what we've been seeing even this morning, which is a firm belief in God's love and his care and his happiness. That's why we keep trying to flood this in. That's why the Bible is flooding it in. We need more and more of this reminder. That's why we worry. It's because I'm not grasping the reality of the situation. It's like the applause experiment. 
Why am I not standing and whooping and hollering? I'm not grasping the reality, the gravity of what is happening in my life. And this is what we want to see changed. So what, we sh- what should we do? Second application to our lives, you should pray. But you should pray with a kind of courage and a kind of dependence on God's faithful character. That's really what Paul means when he says, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Pray. Do you want to stop worrying? Do you want, by stopping your worry, to be happy? Then pray. Pray and pour out your heart. Pray in every way you can, you can imagine. Increase your prayer life. I need to increase my prayer life. I'm with you. But this is what Paul is calling us to. And he's calling us to this the way the Bible so often does, the way that God works, is he's holding out for us an incredible promise. You see, the Christian life does not operate on law. The Christian life operates on promise. The way to stop worrying is not to hold in front of your face a rule that says it's wrong to worry. The way to overcome things like this is by looking at the promise and being motivated by the promise that a happy God has laid before you in his ultimate desire to satisfy you and make you happy. And here it is. Be at peace. This is the second part of this way of living the Christian life on a daily basis. Our pursuit of happiness, our pursuit of prayer, and our pursuit of the promise, which is peace. And again, this is one of those tricky passages because it's like real familiar to us. These words are really, this is classic Christian talk. We talk about peace all day long. But it's kind of drained the power from us. So let's look at it more closely again before we come to a close. Be at peace. Verse 7. Paul continues his extreme views. He's working on the extremes at the poles of the arguments because he says, and the peace of God, which he describes this way, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So now he's talking about an extreme kind of peace that is being promised in the midst of our praying, in the midst of our offering petitions, in the midst of our pursuit and insistence on happiness in Christ because we understand what he's done for us and that he is near. He is offering us all-surpassing peace of mind and of heart. Let's break this down a little bit. Okay, what is he talking about? Where's the meaning in this verse? Where's the gold? Where's the treasure? It's here first. He's talking about a divine peace, okay? Let's go back to the basics of the Christian life. Without Jesus Christ as the center and anchor of your soul, you have no peace. It's all fake. It's all manufactured. It's all just like... Like, make it up and convince yourself that you're at peace and everything is okay. Nothing is okay if you're apart from Jesus Christ. That is, it's a sham. It's not true. 
And here we see Paul offering us the exact opposite of sham peace. He's offering divine peace. Think about that. There's no higher peace possible than the peace he's talking about in the Christian life because it comes from the highest kingdom. It's not earthly peace. It's not worldly peace. It's not corporate peace. It's not political peace. It's not healthy peace. It's, it's the ultimate kingdom peace. It's divine. But notice this also, because he keeps kind of layering, you know, laying it on layers after layer after layer. Notice that it is also not only divine peace, but because it is, it is surpassing peace. That's the word he uses. It surpasses all understanding. That means it transcends. It goes over anything, all understanding, anything that you can anticipate, it's higher. Uh, that's an amazing reality of the Christian life, right? We've, we've already admitted, uh, we turn the volume down, uh, we set up a low bar, and that's, that's hindering us in our Christian life. Here's, the, here's the, the other truth is that the actual bar is so high, you'll never reach it. You will never, you'll always be grasping for it. You'll always, be, you'll always be moving upward. You'll never ultimately get there. And that's the most beautiful thing of the Christian life because we're talking about knowing more and more and more and more of God who is most valuable, who is most beautiful, surpassing peace. There is no broader peace possible because it encompasses all of life. This peace that he's talking about it's, it's, sort of like, it's sort of like a storm. And this is one of the reasons why meteorologists are so bad at predicting the weather. It's because storms are big. They cover a big, vast space, high and enormous area. But God's peace that he's talking about here comes from a place that is exponentially, infinitely higher and broader. It's not, a, it's not a storm that just covers Columbus. It's not a storm that covers our state or our country. It's a storm of peace that encompasses the whole world in the Christian life. He is helping us to see the ultimate promise of this peace more clearly so that we will want it. Why would you not want that? You do. I want this. But notice this, okay? This is probably the last key truth of the morning. If you're taking notes, you should write this down because I think it's key for me to, to remind myself of this truth before we close, that this peace doesn't merely cover your feelings, it's not just a feeling of peace. It's not like I just, I feel, I feel at ease and I feel like everything's going to be okay. That's a wonderful experience that we often have in Christ as, as we think about the truth. But, but ultimately, this is a peace that seeps into our hearts and our minds, not just into our feelings. And, and when it gets there, it does this powerful work. Again, it, it's a little bit like a rainstorm. When the rain falls, you, you know this, it doesn't just fall on the leaves. It doesn't just get on the leaves of the plants and sit there. 
it drenches the ground. It gets down into the roots. That's what this storm of peace that he's describing that is surpassing all understanding. It gets down into the, the hearts and minds of his people. This peace, it is heart and mind altering. And this should change the way that we pursue his peace. Okay, so, so as we come to a close, let's capture this last truth because I do think it's very important for my life and for yours. It changes the way that we view rejoicing and the way that we view praying and the way that we view peace. It's the reminder that it must be engaged with our hearts and our minds. Because what did he say? It surpasses all understanding. It's a word, fancy Greek word, noema. It's translated into like a fancy English word, noetic, which when we talk about the noetic effects of sin, we talk about the way it affects the way we think about life. He says, this peace surpasses all of the noetic effects of sin. It is at work in your mind. That's why he then follows and says, it will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Guard from what? Guard from worry. Guard from what? Happiness killers. That's what his peace does. It guards us. It gives us reason to be happy in the midst of hardship and trouble and good times, bad times, and all the rest. So here's a question for you. Is your Christian life engaging with God in your heart and your mind? Maybe, maybe not. Probably for all of us it's a yes and a no. We want to increase this. And, and we're not saying be, 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 be a heady Christian. We're not saying be you know, a fact finder. We're, we're talking about engaging what we think. Engage what you believe. Because this whole thing of knowing God's peace or being happy in him or praying fervent prayers is not about simply what you know or what you feel, right? It's not passive like that. It's active. It has to become a kind of fight and it's a fight of the mind and a fight of the heart. We can't simply do feeling our way through the Christian life. I'm going to feel my way along and see what, what feels good. And if things feel good, then they, everything must be good. If it doesn't, oh. We have to supersede that. We have to have his peace affect our understanding. We must think and believe our way. This is going to sound so, this, this is going to sound the way I'm saying this, so worldly, but I think that in the context that we're grasping, you can, you can understand what I mean. To think and believe your way into happiness and peace. That's what it takes for us. We have to engage what we think and what we believe with the truth as we are pursuing him. Because if we lack these things, it's the shift that's needed. If you, if you think this week, just take some time, kind of like take a little inventory of your Christian life. Is my Christian life a thinking, believing Christian life? Or is it more like kind of passive feeling? Maybe that's a place that we could change. Maybe that's something we could work on. 
and we can work on it with God's help. If that's you, okay, we're, we're keeping things basic, and we'll have to work some details out together as we go, but here's what we should do. We should make it all the more intentional to meditate for rejoicing's sake with the scriptures. Meditate on the scriptures with a desire to prime yourself for happiness. When you open the Bible, look for every passage you can find that gives you reason to rejoice and to be happy in Christ. Second, we're going to do this, a similar thing by praying through Scripture. When you are praying, bring Scripture into your prayers. Bring those promises. Bring those truths in and use them. Reword them. Pray them back to God, right? That's what we need to be doing. And do it with a sincere request for these things. God, fill me with joy. Fill me with joy because of you in this moment. Kill my worry before it kills my joy. And I want to glorify you with everything that I think and believe. That kind of praying and pray that way through scripture. And then of course, as we've seen even in this text, the way this engages with other people, there's got to be engagement together so that we're discussing these things. So let's discuss these things together on a regular basis. Like find some ways in community group and beyond to really discuss what scripture is saying. This is how the war is fought, right? This I believe is it. And this can help us. As we come to a close, I want to remind you that it is God's intention to make you happy. That's what he intends to do. That's what he's doing. That's what he's working for because he is, to steal the line a thousand times, he is most glorified in you when you are happiest in him. And that's why he's working. And what a joy. Wow, this is the kind of Christian life. You check out the religions of the world. Go check out the religions of the world and see what they live for. Go look at the religions of the world. Go, go look at Islam. Go look at Mormonism. Go look at Buddhism. And you go, you go see what they promise. They don't promise this. We're in the right place here. And these are the ways that he does it. So we want to join him in that. We really do. And these are just a few ways that we can do that this week. And uh, moving forward, I hope that you will keep these in mind. I'm going to. Let's pray for each other. And if you need to come to Christ today, man, today's your day. You should not wait. You're not promised tomorrow. And there is a world of happiness before you in the hands of Christ. If you come to him, repent of your sin and place your trust in him, belong to him. That's what we're praying for today. If that's a decision that you want to make, you want to talk more about that, please find someone sitting next to you, almost anyone sitting next to you. Uh, or one of the pastors, we'd love to talk more. Let me invite you to stand as we pray together and sing again. Our Father in heaven, we so need your help and we feel the need for basics. I feel the need for basics like this. And so we pray that you would work these basics in our hearts. We have... At lots of different times, tried lots of different things, and uh, most of them are not working. And so we pray that you would give us a vision for something new and uh, something true that we could follow in your good news 
to enjoy you and to know the happiness that you have in us and that you give to us. And that when our worry, uh, our remaining sin, rears its ugly head and tempts us to worry and to think that you are far away, we pray that you would, you would overpower it with your peace and that our prayers would be, would be fervent and answered. And uh, we pray this would make a big difference in our lives and that it would glorify you and that we'd be better for each other and for our neighbors and our friends and our family members who need to know you. And I do pray for, for anyone who is in our sphere that we've been talking to or is here today. And I really pray that you'd, you would do an incredible work to convert that person's soul and bring them to faith in you and that they would become a shining example of what it means to know the true God. And we pray that you'd make us into an example like that too. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.